You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking with Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the Fansided Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store and find one of our Locked On rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy lead into the weekend NBA playoffs weekend. Um, there were three games on Thursday night. I'll touch on those briefly here in the first segment. Uh, there was, there was uh, I don't know, I guess one really good game. Um, so I, I want to quickly go through what happened on Thursday night. I also want to talk about the latest, uh, I don't know that there's new developments, but some of, some of the additional uh, reporting on the ownership. Um, we're calling it here on the show Saga because that's where we're at at this point. Um, but the the most recent, Development being Wednesday, the lawsuit filed by Meyer Orbach, the the uh, the largest minority shareholder in the Timberwolves, and some of the additional reporting that's come out, mostly from John Krasinski at the Athletic, who does a fantastic job covering the team and uh, has some additional insight. So I want to cover all that here in the first segment, and then the bulk of today's show is going to be the player review on the season for Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, he was third on the team in total minutes. We're going in reverse order, so we're almost done with the series. Uh, but today we'll talk about Towns. I want to talk about his season in context. Uh, from his past seasons. I want to talk about improvements he made, especially defensively, and what some of the advanced metrics and the numbers over at B-Ball Index say about Cat's season. So that will be the show today. We'll get you into the weekend. Enjoy some NBA uh, basketball, playoff basketball, and we'll be back on Monday. So uh, a reminder here off the top, as always, you can follow this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. That, of course, includes Apple, Google, Spotify, and, of course, the all-new Odyssey app. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow on Twitter at LockdownTWolves and at B-Beacon. That's B-Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Okay, uh, let's start with the ownership news. So the report, of course, on Wednesday was that Meyer Orbach, the the largest minority shareholder in, in the Timberwolves team, was, was filing a suit, a complaint, in the U.S. District Court in Minneapolis, because he is alleging that Glenn Taylor, of course, the majority owner of the Timberwolves, is uh, is is refusing to allow Orbach to exercise what's called his tag-along rights, which basically means he has the opportunity to sell his shares in the team before the majority is sold, or uh, basically be folded into the purchase, and that and that Taylor uh, disregarded Orbach's um, request to do that. Orbach is apparently owns more than 17% of the team, according to the filing. And uh, I know when he came on, it was only a couple percent, but over the past five or six years, he's increased, um, you know, his, his shares in the team. Also, we know that he's been very visible. He's often at games. Uh, he'll go to games on the road. He's a, a New Jersey, I believe, New York, New Jersey, a real estate person um, is, is where he's gotten the majority of his money, where his company is based. But he's been a big part of the Timberwolves ownership group now for several years. And there was some thought he could eventually become majority owner, but it doesn't sound like he was able to raise the funds to to seriously be in the conversation. Uh, but at any rate, that was the main thing, right? The, the reason why the complaint was filed, there was also a piece of it that grabbed headlines and, and we have to talk about on the show, which is that Orbach is, is saying that Taylor didn't follow through on his his public promise, not something that was legally ever legally binding, but a public promise to include language in the purchase agreement 
that the team would stay in the Twin Cities. Taylor said this in multiple places. He said it in an interview with Darren Wolfson at Score North. He said it on WCCO with, I think, Chad Hartman. Um, He said it many times. I think he said it to John Krasinski as well in an interview that it would be included in the legal documents that the team would have to stay in the Twin Cities. I've talked about on the show. I don't know how you enforce that. I mean, if you're no longer the owner of a place, how do, or of, a, of an asset, how do you control what happens to that asset, right? Um, but Taylor claimed it could be done at least on some level, and it was included in the letter of intent to purchase the team that was filed by Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez when they, you know, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago or so. Um, However, that's not a legally binding document. And, and John Krasinski at The Athletic did a great job of breaking this all down in a new piece. And uh, so I'm going to read a, a, a brief portion here. Of course, The Athletic subscription only. So if you do have a subscription, go check it out. I always I always bring up John's uh, best pieces. He does a great job. And uh, and this is has some great uh, sourced material here regarding the potential or the, the pending sale of the team. So here's, here's a paragraph from John's article. It says, the letter of intent signed by Rodriguez and Lori, of course, new ownership group prior to the beginning of negotiations with Taylor did include a commitment to remain in Minnesota sources said, but that document is not legally binding. That language did not transfer to the official agreement according to Orbach's lawsuit. But Taylor sources said views the target center lease agreement as pertinent language in the agreement geared toward securing the wolves and links future in Minnesota sources on all sides. This is the key part sources on all sides of these negotiations have told the athletic that Lori and Rodriguez are committed to the twin cities market and that there have never been any discussions about moving the teams. Okay. Now I've been telling you this for, for weeks, really going back to last off season when Taylor talked about, about selling the team. There's, there's several reasons why the team is unlikely to move. And I'm not going to rehash everything I said Thursday. So go back and listen to my, to my bullet, my bullet points on why the team's not leaving. But this is key. John's reporting here. He says there have never been any discussions about moving the teams between Lori and Rodriguez. Now, that's sourced reporting. We don't know what their private conversations have looked like, but that's a pretty good indicator that this this isn't front of mind. Uh, John also drops the nugget that Mark Laurie is apparently looking at properties in Minneapolis, the Minneapolis area, and is talking about living in Minneapolis at least part-time. Will they become owners. And remember, the next two years, they'll be minority owners. They won't take over the majority until the tail end of 2023 is what's been reported. Um, so I guess quickly, my reasons for why the team won't move, and, and John Krasinski breaks this down in his article at The Athletic, the league's motivated to be in the Twin Cities. It's the number 15 media market. They're not going to move the team. They're not going to allow, they're not going to uh, grease the wheels for a sale or a relocation from the 15th biggest media market to the 13th biggest media market. Why? Um, at that point, you're just shuffling your deck. Um, you know, just the, the league also makes more money by expanding. So of course the league wants a team in Seattle. It's the 13th biggest media market. Um, but they're not going to be incentivized to help move a team from 15 to 13. Open, you know, get a new team in the 13th biggest media market. And there's other markets in between, but Vegas is is the most talked about other market. And if the league expands, of course, they'll do it two teams at a time. So I, I just don't think it's likely. The, the league would not be motivated to do that. Also, the Twin Cities is a good market. Uh, you know, see my prior comment about the it being the 15th biggest media market. Um, it's just ridiculous to suggest that there shouldn't be a team in the Twin Cities. And I, I would be absolutely shocked if, if, the team ended up moving. Now, to the counterpoint, and this I don't think this is as much a straw man as as the most frequent counterpoint I see is, well, 
the league moved it to, or allowed a team to be moved out of Seattle into Oklahoma City, which is like what the 45th or 50th biggest media market. Um, I live in Oklahoma City, by the way, and it's shocking that there's a pro franchise here with how small the market is. Quite frankly, there's a reason it's the only pro franchise here, the only, uh, you know, big four, big five sports team in Oklahoma City, because it's not that big of a market. Seattle's a really big market. How did that happen? Well, not the same situation. That was a very, uh, that was, it was an arena battle, right? There's not an arena battle in the Twin Cities. The the Timberwolves have a renovated arena. Yes, there's issues with the Target Center, and it's very likely that the new ownership group will either re-renovate the Target Center or build a new building at some point in the next five to 10 years. I'm sure that that's very much on the table. Um, but there's not an arena battle. There is a viable arena that's recently been renovated, and it, it just, you know, it, it's not the same situation. It's not apples to apples, and also... Adam Silver's not David Stern. The league's in a very different place than it was when the Seattle to OKC uh, relocation happened for that franchise. So it, it's not apples to apples. Obviously, there, there's, you know, the, the Twin Cities are a viable market. And and John Krasinski does a great job of laying this all out in the athletic article. So go read that. Uh, but basically, it's all the stuff I said yesterday on the show, plus the source reporting that, that Lori and Rodriguez are not are not seriously entertaining the idea or, or in the way John's exact words, there have never been any discussion discussions about moving the teams, meaning the wolves and the links out of Minneapolis from Lori and Rodriguez. That matters. That is, that is a legit thing to hang our hat on. Um, so at any rate, okay, what I want to do next is I want to get into Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, of course, if anything else comes up on this over the weekend, we'll talk about it Monday. Uh, I want to get into Towns, and then we'll close with with a quick uh, NBA playoffs note here, just uh, just so we're you know we're all on the same page going to the weekend about what's going on in these series, which teams are likely to be eliminated by the time we uh, we have Monday's show. Uh, but let's talk about Towns first before we get into Cat. Let's talk about our great friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar of all time. Hands down, been talking about it now for, I don't know, a year and a half or so. I actually just placed another order yesterday. I used the promo code LOCKED15. I'll tell you about it in a second. Built Bar is a, a protein bar that tastes exactly like a candy bar. It, it does. Um, coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. My order yesterday. So you can order a mix box. You'll get two of each of the nine flavors. If you've never had it before, that's my recommendation. I ordered the, uh, you can also get a mix box of 18 bars. So six of three different bars. Um, and I picked mint brownie, salted caramel, and coconut for my three. Actually, no, there's a chocolate chunk or a, a ch- yeah, the chocolate chunk was on there too, the cookie dough. Um, that's not on my list. So that's not one of the flavors that's always there. But if it's there, get it. It's fantastic. I got a bar of 18 or a box of 18 bars, six of three different flavors. And uh, if you haven't tried them all, though, I would suggest the mix box where you get two of each of the nine key or the the nine main uh, kind of cornerstone flavors. Most of them have 17 grams of protein, but only 130 calories and four grams of sugar, only four grams net carbs. They're all fantastic. You can go to BillPar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BillPar.com. Do it. I did it again yesterday. It's uh, become basically like an every other week order for me. Uh, again, LOCKED15 for 15% off at BillPar.com. All right, let's talk about Carl Anthony Towns. So, Kat had a solid season despite all the all the stuff he went through it's well documented we don't need to rehash the last i don't know 14 16 months for cat 
obviously we're, we're a year and a month or so after his mom tragically passed away from complications of COVID-19. His dad had COVID. Cat was uh, apparently in, in that terrible car accident in the off season where he was at the hospital briefly uh, in California last summer. He had the wrist injury last year. He had multiple other family members. I think it was seven total, including his mom, who passed away from COVID-19 complications over the past year plus. And then this season, Cat re-injured or, or injured, I guess, a, a slightly different area on his wrist in the second game of the season. Then he got COVID-19 two games into his return um, and was out for a couple of weeks, apparently had it pretty bad. So it's been obviously a tumultuous year for for Towns and 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 really, I you know, none of it his fault. Um, it's just been been really tough. And yet he still went on the floor was really effective. And I think we have to keep this year in some context. Weird year for everyone. Yes. But especially for Towns and, and a tragic year and, you know, off the court, that stuff matters. It can factor in and and and, and it's legitimate. Right. Um but then also he had COVID-19 and we know we've seen a pattern where players that return from COVID-19, their conditioning's affected, you know, they're, they're not to mention their, their actual conditioning in terms of the effect that COVID-19 usually has on people's lungs. Um, even apparently asymptomatic people, uh, can, can affect their lungs longer term, but also the fact that he wasn't in basketball shape. He had rust to shake off because he didn't play basketball for a couple of weeks. So those things all matter. And, and so I want to preface the conversation with that um, because, well, in a lot of areas, there were slight steps backwards for towns. There's plenty of reason as to as to why we can really explain that away. And, and again, not in a, not in not as excuses, but as like just reality. That's what happened in the past year for Carl Anthony Towns, and we can't pretend like none of this stuff impacted his on court play. Now, all that said, Towns was still fantastic this year. He was still one of the league's best big men. He improved defensively. This was his best year as a defensive player by far. It wasn't close. The offensive numbers were down a little. Um, and I haven't even talked about the coaching. Remember, the, he was playing uh, under Ryan Saunders at the start of the year, very briefly before he got hurt, contracted COVID. He then played under Chris Finch. So he switched to the system he was playing in. All of a sudden, he was getting far more post touches. The team was playing differently. And that's not even to to mention the lineup changes. He played hardly at all with D'Angelo Russell early in the season. Anthony Edwards wasn't in the starting lineup. Towards the end of the season, Malik Beasley wasn't available. And, and obviously Beasley would change the way that Towns can operate out of the post by, by would drastically change it because of his three-point shooting ability, ability to space the floor. So it, this is this was such a weird year for everybody, but, but especially for Towns. Uh, the supporting cast is not what what he expected it to be. Um, it was just a weird season. So let's look at his numbers compared to what he's typically done. Um, the raw shooting numbers, this was his worst season. I mean, he shot under 50% for the first time in his career, 48.6%. Three-point shooting percentage was his worst in four seasons, 38.7%, um, down from 41.2% last year. And, and over over the three, the past three seasons combined, um, Townsend shot 41% from three. He was 38.7 this year. And uh, free throw line actually was his best free throw shooting percentage. And his free throw rate increased nicely as the season went on. I was going to see what's the exact number here. Um, free throw rate this season for Cat was uh, 0.355. So down slightly from last year, but still the second best mark of his career. Um, three point rate was down a little bit as well, but still the second best mark of his career. So we saw a lot of the same um, 
at least early in the season, certainly under Saunders, the, the shot profile was pretty similar for Towns. As the year went on, we saw more and more post touches. And I want to get more into those points per possession numbers and, and the Towns post touches specifically here in just a, just a few minutes. Um, the rebounding numbers were down pretty significantly per game. They were only down slightly from last year, but the three years prior, Towns had averaged over 12 rebounds a game. Um, so 12.3 rebounds from 2016 to 19. Last year, 10.8 rebounds. This year, 10.6 rebounds per game. The better way to look at that, of course, is rebound rate, which was up slightly from last season. But remember, last year, he only played 35 games. Um, he was at 20% total rebound rate in his two all-star seasons, 17-18 and 18-19. Last year was down to 16.8%. This year, 17%. Um, it's, you know, it's it's not bad. It's He's still averaging a double-double, right? But the rebound rate hasn't been quite what we've, we're used to seeing from him. And, and the, the decreases on both ends of the floor, both offensive and defensive rebounding rate were down by more than 2.5%. Um, so that's notable. It, not all that significant, but notable. He also saw slight decreases in assist rate, steal rate, the same block rate, slight uptick in both turnover and usage rate. So all of those things point to it just not being quite as effective of a season for Towns. Um, That said, the way that he was used also changed drastically during the season. Remember early in the year, the Wolves were running a ton of pick and roll under Ryan Saunders and a lot of kind of complicated actions where they were trying to run the offense through Towns, but there was a lot of allowance for D'Angelo Russell to do his thing. Um, and, And then there was this transition into the Chris Finch offense where Towns started to be used more like a Nikola Jokic, not the exact same way, but a lot more post touches, both low block and elbow extended kind of the mid post area. And he handled the ball less on the perimeter as the season went on. Remember, Saunders wanted Towns to have the ball in his hands on the perimeter. Finch has been more using Towns as a fulcrum of the offense, similar to how Jokic is used in Denver and to how Finch had used DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis when he was an assistant coach down in New Orleans. And Towns is so good from anywhere on the floor that the Wolves can do that. And and Towns has the ability to go from the mid post, take one giant step out beyond the three-point line and knock down a three. And there were actually some actions that we saw um, similar to what we saw Rick Adelman run with with Kevin Love, where where Finch would have a guard, a lot of times Ricky Rubio screen for Towns, kind of set a pin down where Towns could pop out outside the three-point line and, uh, and, and knock down a three, either off the dribble or catch and shoot. Um, we, we've seen a, a few of those actions mixed in, and it's just been refreshing to see Towns used in different ways. Um, and so some of the issues in terms of efficiency, and, and again, issues is very relative because Towns was still had a phenomenal offensive year in a vacuum. Anybody would say, oh, this was a fantastic year, but I'm comparing it to a couple of all-star seasons and, and Towns already being arguably the best shooting big man of all time, uh, jump shooting big man of all time perimeter shooting big man of all time, I guess, to add some qualifiers, but certainly one of the best, most talented, best scoring big men of this generation in, a, in recent memory. Um, it, but this season was a very slight step backwards for all the reasons I've listed. Uh, but again, still a very solid season. I mean, any big man who shoots basically 49%, 39%, you know, for, 49 from the floor, 39 from outside the arc and 86% for the line. That's a good offensive season. Um, so all that to say, the, the possibilities in Finch's offense are what are so tantalizing and, and what this thing could become with Carl Anthony Towns at the center of it and, and everything else rotating around him. And this isn't a, you know, Cats 1A and Russell's 1B. Carl Anthony Towns is the star of this team. And Anthony Edwards is great too. But this whole thing revolves around Carl Anthony Towns and Russell and Edwards are simply the other pieces, the, the, 
the best of the other pieces. They're the guys who need to make teams pay when Towns is doubled. And I want to get into that next. I want to get into the issues. Part of the reason why, or a big reason why Towns uh, assist numbers weren't better and why his turnover rate wasn't great and why the post touches actually weren't all that productive. And it's not all Towns' fault. It's just simply players getting used to the offense, uh, in Edwards case, getting used to the NBA and, uh, you know, a lack of shooters on the perimeter. I mean, all those things play into it, but I want to dive into the numbers and the, the points per possession actually surprised me a little bit when it came to post touches. Um, and B-Ball index has all that information. I want to, I want to dive into that next before we do though, let's talk about our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is now in full swing, a couple months in. You can track all the action at BetOnline. Also, you can get all the news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB and, of course, the NBA and NHL, both in the playoffs now, and your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code locked on. Again, that's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's also talk about rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning to wait while the person at the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that their warehouse happens to carry? You have a computer with access to rockauto.com both at home and in your pocket. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle Choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer. And best of all, this is the best part. The prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the exact same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Okay, let's dive into the Carl Anthony Towns B-Ball Index numbers. Again, B-Ball Index, it's bball-index.com. It's a fantastic site. It's like five bucks a month to get access to all. Uh, they compile all the advanced metrics from around the, the best sites, as well as some proprietary numbers of their own. All the contextual data, um, you know, the the, two, the percentiles league-wide, and then they assign a grade based on the league-wide percentiles in, in any specific category. Um, so what I want to focus in on, obviously, most of Town's numbers are phenomenal. He's basically A-minuses across the board when it comes to everything from off ball movement to playmaking. Um, basically all the assist numbers are B pluses and then all the passing creation numbers are, are a minuses for towns. Roll gravity as a role man in the pick and roll game. Um, as the role man possessions per 75, uh, uh, Per 75 possessions, it's an A minus 88th percentile. Roll impact is an A minus. Pop impact, 98th percentile, obviously an A league wide. All things he's great at. Um, rebounding is all good, still offensive, defensive. All those numbers are anywhere from B pluses to A's. They across the board. Uh, what I want to key in on though is two things. Number one, let's talk about points per possession in terms of different play types. And I've done that with most of the players on the roster because I think that's a really great way to see A, how players are being used. 
which tells us how they should be used more or, you know, which, which play types they should be used in more often. And B, it can help us kind of, you know, so like, I guess the best way to say this, is if you look at Towns, and we know he got plenty of post touches as the year, year went on. We know that he was double teamed a lot, but was were those possessions still effective? And B-Ball Index would tell us no. Points per possession with Carl Anthony Townsend post-ups was 0.88 this year. That's 50th percentile, and it, it's a C league-wide. In fact, after uh, being a ball handler in the, in the pick and roll, that's Towns' worst play type of like, what? There's like 10 different play types to, to list off, and post-up was his second worst one. 50th percentile league-wide grades out as a C. Now, why is that? Well, pretty simple, right? Uh, His free throw rate should have been higher. That's not entirely his fault. He got hammered a lot and fouls weren't called. And that's, for whatever reason, that's the life that Towns has lived the past few years in the NBA. Um, But that's part of it. Part of it is that he was double and even triple teamed very frequently and sometimes tried to fight through it, uh, often to no avail, not getting foul calls, sometimes making spectacular shots. But remember, the formula for points per possession does include turnovers and doesn't necessarily, or it doesn't include assists. And so if Towns is passing out of a double or triple team and he travels or he throws the ball away, that's impacting the points per possession number. And he's not necessarily getting a bump here for assists he's making on skip passes to the opposite corner. The weird little like bowling softball pitch pass he did to the opposite corner often that worked like twice and was awesome, but then didn't always work. Um, those things don't necessarily buoy that number at all. Um, now, Towns is obviously a phenomenal post player, and he can beat anybody one-on-one in the post, but the problem comes when he's double and triple teamed and he can't get a clean pass out, or when he does get a clean pass out and his teammates don't make the shot. Now, the Timberwolves still were not a very good three-point shooting team this year. Uh, with D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley on the floor, they, they were, but for the season, they were 25th league-wide in three-point percentage. They were seventh in attempts per game, but 25th in percentage, a hair under 35%. And the Wolves' best three-point players, three-point shooters, didn't play very much. Malik Beasley was number one on the team in, in shooting. He played in 37 games. Towns only played in 50 games. D'Lo played in 42 games. Jade McDaniels was fourth on this team in three-point shooting percentage at at a 36.4%. And his overall three, I mean, his three-point rate was fairly high, but his usage rate was low. I mean, he wasn't a focal point of the offense, obviously. Um, so the Wolves just need to have more shooters. I mean, Edwards was the highest volume three-point shooter on the team. And he, he wasn't, I mean, what was he like 32%, a hair under 32% this year. So, I mean, Edwards improving from three, Towns playing more with D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. He barely played with both of those guys. Remember that quartet, Beasley, Russell, Towns, Russell, or excuse me, Beasley, Russell, Towns, Edwards played a total of like 15 minutes together this season. Um, it, it was not, they did not share the court very often. And you're talking about two great three-point shooters in Russell and Beasley. Well, three, if you include Towns and a fantastic cutter and and a, a growing playmaker in Edwards. That's a really potent quartet. You better believe all of Towns' per, points per possession numbers are going to go up if he's on the floor with that kind of talent consistently, including his post numbers. The points per possession in the post is going to go up because teams aren't going to be able, certainly not triple team him, and they're not going to easily be able to double team him without Towns making them pay as well which will bring down his turnover rate. It will increase his points per possession in the post because he'll get more one-on-one opportunities uh, by nature. And, and uh, I mean, that, that number is going to go up and he'll be more, that much more impactful offensively. Um, but otherwise, his points per possession are phenomenal. As a role man, he's 84th percentile, 1.18 points per possession. That's a minus. That's an A minus league-wide. Spot-up points per possession, 1.15. That's 89th percentile, also an A minus. 
um, in any other situation. Putbacks, 1.24 points per possession. Coming off screens, 1.3 as an off-screen points per possession. That's 99th percentile league-wide. I mean, think about that play where the Wolves would run um, kind of a Towns would curl around a double screen in the left corner, pop open behind uh, behind the three point line and get a three pointer. They ran a couple of wrinkles off that with guys slipping screens. I think Wancho got an easy bucket that way late in the season. Um, these these fun little sets that Saunders ran some too, but Finch runs to get Towns open for spot up shots for catch and shoot situations are are fantastic. Um, and and I think we could see the frequency of some of those things continue to to rise as we see him used in more creative ways. And, and Towns isn't only, to be clear, Towns isn't going to strictly be getting low post opportunities under Chris Finch. Remember, he's going to be out on the perimeter in the mid-range area at the elbows and horn sets creating with the ball in his hands. And one of the reasons he started getting more elbow touches is that it's really hard to double team at the elbow. It's very easy for the offense to make the defense pay if they're going to try and double at the elbow, because how easy is it to just slip a screen or, or cut back door and end up at the rim or pop out from beyond the three point line or run handoffs off of that, which is what the wolves really like to do. So, Expect Towns to be at the double or excuse me, at the elbow at the free throw line extended kind of the, the elbow extended mid post area more often in, in next season during next season. I think we're going to see a lot more of that than we will with him in the low post. The last note on Towns is defensively. Towns has improved quite a bit defensively. Um, he was 17th percentile last year in ESPN's real plus minus uh, defensive real plus minus 17th percentile. He was like a negative 1.7 or something like that. This year, 50th percentile, middle of the pack, still a negative 0.3, but 50 percentile, 50th percentile is way better than 17th. Grades out as a C. Um, some of the other defensive metrics, same thing. He was a C in Raptor defensively. He was a C in, in LeBron, which is the metric that is proprietary to uh, to B-ball index in uh, the box defensive numbers. He was a C. He was actually a B plus in the LeBron defensive numbers, the metric according to B-ball index. So very middle of the pack defensively. And given the the dearth of defensive talent around him, I mean, you're talking about Jade McDaniels and Josh Akogi and arguably Jared Vanderbilt as all average or better defenders and, and really nobody else. I mean, Ricky Rubio had a tough season. He was still probably average in terms of point guard defense. But the rest of this team was not good defensively. They didn't rebound the ball consistently well, which is a huge part of the defense. And Towns still found a way to improve his defensive metrics. And they were he was fantastic the first couple games of the season. And then after he came back from the wrist injury prior to the COVID issue. And then I think conditioning played a part later in the season with him. Um, and again, not blaming Towns, blaming the COVID situation more than anything else. Um and also the defensive scheme shifted a little. The Wolves played a few different pick and roll coverages after Chris Finch took over. They didn't strictly play drop coverage. They mixed in some other stuff more often that maybe they weren't used to playing. But um, I mean, the, I guess the headline here is Towns improved defensively. And that's what everybody's been begging him to do, right? What did I say all last offseason? If Towns could be an average defender, if he could put forth consistent effort, be a fantastic rebounder and an average defender every night, then he is a bona fide superstar. He's an all-NBA player every year, perennial all-star, all that stuff, and this team's going to get better. We saw that this year. We saw him improve defensively. The offensive numbers were just a, a half tick down due to all the factors I've already mentioned and also the the shift in how he's being used on the offensive end of the floor. And we're going to continue to see improvement on both ends of the floor in towns. I truly believe that. Remember, He's what, 25? I mean, there's still plenty of improvement to have or to, to be had with Towns. And having a head coach like Chris Finch is going to really kind of help that happen too. Um, so, overall, if I'm going to put a grade on Carlton Towns' season, 
it's a B plus. I think the improvement defensively and still being a phenomenal offensive player outweighs, largely outweighs the slight step backwards he took offensively because that's more of a, I mean, he only played 50 games, right? If Towns plays a full season, those numbers are going to shake themselves out a little bit. And I, I tend to believe they swing back towards his career norms, 50, 51% from the field, 40, 41% from three. Um, so B plus might actually be harsh. And I've almost talked myself all the way up to an A minus already. But the defensive improvement, I think, is the headline, as well as the creativity um, in the Finch offense that's going to allow Towns to do so many different things here moving forward. Okay. Um, Let's just close. Quick mention on NBA playoffs. Uh, not a ton to say here, actually. Milwaukee blew up. Miami, they're up 3 nothing, and that series is basically over. Uh, probably will be over by the next time I record a show. Uh, the Lakers held on to beat Phoenix. Phoenix took an early lead, but it was mostly LA in the second half in that game. Um, they won by 14 and took a 2-1 lead over Phoenix, of course, uh, by seeding. LA is the underdogs. Uh, Phoenix got 22 and 11 from DeAndre Ayton. Chris Paul was limited again, had just seven and six. And Devin Booker had only 19 points on 19 shots. Not a great game for him. LeBron had 21 points, nine assists. He did have seven turnovers, 34 and 11 from Anthony Davis. And uh, that series is now 2-1 LA with game uh, four coming in sta- coming at Staples this weekend. The, the most fun game of the night was the Denver-Portland game. Denver won this thing by five. And they took a, an early lead and basically kind of clung to, to, to life the rest of the game. Uh, Jokic was fantastic, 36-11-5. Um, down the stretch, Nurkic, of course, the former Nugget, fouled out, which was a big deal for the Nuggets. He had 13 and 13, excuse me, for the Blazers. He had 13 and 13 in this game, fouled out late. And then all of a sudden, uh, Austin Rivers got hot for the Nuggets. He had 21 points, hit some big third uh, fourth quarter threes and was, was the second leading scorer for Denver as they, uh, as they held on uh, and clung to a five point lead, took a two, one lead in the series. And really, I mean, Denver should at this point be able to pull away in the series um, and, and put this thing away. Okay. Um, there's going to be a ton of NBA action over, over the weekend. Of course, all the playoffs, uh, all the series of course will be, will be playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So on the show for Monday, I'll, I'll kind of recap the weekend. We'll just hit the high points and where the series stand on Monday as well. And, and obviously if there's any additional ownership news that breaks over the weekend, that'll be part of Monday's show, um, as well. So be sure to stay tuned. If you're not already subscribed or following this show, please follow anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, the all new Odyssey app, um, you can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at B Beacon. And again, a daily show Monday through Friday. So plenty of plenty of stuff to talk about here as we get closer to the draft. We're going to start talking once we're through this play review series. Going to be a lot of draft coverage here as we're what uh, a little less than a month away from the draft lottery when we'll find out whether or not the Wolves actually have a pick. But important to still talk about those prospects that would be in the top three. We can narrow the focus to those likely top three picks because there's. Unless they trade for a pick, the Wolves aren't going to end up outside the top three with a pick in this year's draft. Um, so we have a little bit of a narrower focus versus last year when it was you know, they had three picks that we had to had to try and figure out you know what players could be targets at those picks. But um, at any rate, that's all we have for you today here on the show. Thanks once again for listening to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. A reminder that today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. You can download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store. Find one of our Lockdown Rooms. Locker Room is changing the way that we talk sports. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.